Welcome to Women Who Move Nations, the public transport podcast, where we interview our industry's top female executives from Australia, New Zealand, and around the world. I'm Michelle Batsis, your host and the Chief Executive Officer of the Public Transport Association, Australia, New Zealand. We're raising the voices of women for everyone who works in public transport and mobility, and particularly for any of our listeners who are early in their transport careers and looking for inspiration. Each of our guests shares her views on the future of public transport and provides insights into their career journeys. Make sure you follow Women Who Move Nations on your favorite podcast platform and rate the show to help more people find us. You can also join our community on LinkedIn by searching Public Transport Association Australia New Zealand. We're also on Twitter at PTAANZ underscore or visit us at www.ptaanz.org. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of Women Who Move Nations. We're so grateful to have as our guest this week, the Honourable Jacinta Allen MP. Minister Allen's portfolios for the State Government of Victoria include the Minister for Transport Infrastructure, Coordination of Transport COVID-19 and Minister for the Suburban Rail Loop. Thanks so much for joining us, Jacinta. Great to be with you today, Michelle. I'm really excited about the conversation that we're going to have today and to hear about your responsibilities in transport in Victoria. And obviously, I have to give a plug here for the fact that the UITP Global Public Transport Summit will be hosted in Melbourne in December 2021 and hosted by the Department of Transport in Victoria. So we're going to have a wide ranging discussion today. And I'd like to start with the responsibilities you have in your portfolios in transport infrastructure and the suburban rail loop. And particularly, if you could give the listeners uh, a bit of an overview around what's happening in public transport and particularly infrastructure in Victoria at the moment. Well, Michelle, it's it's been really exciting to be um, a minister in the transport portfolio as part of a government that places a really high priority on both building uh, better transport connections, but also understanding that the reason why we're building these better transport um, infrastructure, while we're building the, the big road and rail projects and the small road and rail projects, is because it's all about get helping people get to where they need to go. And that's what's at the heart of the, the transport work. It's understanding that people need good public transport to be able to get to work and get to the doctor's appointments, go do the shopping. It's a vital connector. And so, so for the period of time that our government has been in government, which is uh, coming up to six years now, from the from the very first days, we've uh, had a strong focus on building the, the big and important projects that Melbourne as a city and Victoria as a state needs to keep out, keep going with keep up with the population growth and to keep those transport connections going, but also understanding, as I said, that there's smaller projects too that are equally important that help connect people within their local communities. Absolutely. And I really like the term you used about transport being a vital connector. And certainly I think for UITP, there's such a focus worldwide on how we can use transport to really improve deliverability outcomes in cities and in regions. And on the topic of UITP, Jacinta, I know that you were instrumental in um, Melbourne's bid to host the 2021 UITP Global Public Transport Summit. 
uh, which will be happening from the 14th to the 17th of December in 2021. And I wanted to ask you, what do you think the opportunities are for Melbourne and Victoria and what will be showcased about our public transport networks? But we're really excited about, and we're thrilled, I should say, as well, that we um, are going to be hosting the UITP conference at the end of 2021. And I think we're going to have some great conversations, discussions, and I think you could, uh, I think your listeners could understand we're also looking forward to showing off a little bit what we're doing here in Melbourne and Victoria, because we've got uh, a lot of big, important public transport infrastructure projects uh, on the go. We've got our big metro tunnel project which is going to transform the Melbourne Metropolitan Network. We've got the removal of level crossings which uh, for many of your listeners may or may not know level crossings are a particular feature of the Melbourne Rail Network. We, we Before we came to office we had 180 le- uh, at grade level crossings and so by re- progressively getting in there and removing level crossings we've got a commitment to remove 75 by 2025. We can show how we're not just uh, supporting jobs through these infrastructure projects, we're making our communities safer, we're delivering those better, stronger connections, and it also means we can run more train services. So we'll talk about what we're doing, but also it's going to be a really exciting opportunity to hear from experts and people passionate and committed about public transport from around the world and that exchange of ideas, that exchange of information, being able to talk about Uh, For example, in in terms of technology, whether it's new technology for signalling systems, new technology too to provide better information, real-time information to people who use the network and who need to move between different modes of the network. And then there'll just be the getting together and and, and sharing ideas about where the future of public transport might go and, and ideas about how for whether it's growing cities like Melbourne, whether it's our smallest communities, in rural areas, how we can continue to provide public transport services to all of our communities. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic opportunity both to showcase what's happening in Victoria and also to learn from others all around the world. And certainly, I think in recent months, what we've seen in the UITP network um, is a real need for sharing of knowledge and that exchange of ideas, particularly because of what's going on with COVID-19. And I know that in your role in Victoria, that you're leading that COVID-19 response and recovery in a coordinated way for the transport sector. And I wanted to ask you, what do you see to be the challenges, but also the opportunities or silver linings arising out of COVID-19 and its implications for transport? Look, it's, there's no doubt that uh, governments, communities around the world are, are really uh, working through the issues of how to respond to the to the COVID-19 pandemic. And for when you consider uh, in, in, in terms of the delivery of transport services, one of the decisions we've taken here um, for in terms of the delivery of public transport in Melbourne is up until very uh, recently, we've been running a full timetabled service, recognising that as we've put in place different levels of restrictions in terms of people being required to stay at home, work from home, not go in, in for, for work and other activities, that we've still needed to continue to provide a safe and effective service for people who need um, to get to where they need to be, and particularly important for people who work, for example, in our hospitals. Being able to have a reliable public transport service has been very important. 
Also too, um, there's the opportunity as we look to, to the future and, and how we move um, through the other side of this pandemic, there's no doubt that there has been a big and difficult economic impact on, on the global economy and that's felt at a very local level as well. And so there's the opportunity that in Victoria we've been working over the past six years on a very strong infrastructure program that's about building better transport infrastructure, but also about supporting jobs. And we'll be looking at ways at how we can continue that work, understanding that building, uh, building an investment in, in infrastructure projects is also a very strong and important investment in employing more people in our local community. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're seeing that around the world, the focus on how transport can actually play a really key role in economic recovery from COVID-19. And certainly transport infrastructure projects, you know, generate such value for the economy and in terms of jobs. And, you know, I want to talk to you about the biggest project that you've got on your plate. You're the Minister for the Suburban Rail Loop, which is a visionary project for Melbourne and the state of Victoria, and certainly has garnered global attention in that it's going to provide an orbital rail loop about 90 kilometres long that will traverse through the suburbs. And I think what's really exciting about this project are the opportunities for precincts to be designed and developed, which is such a hot topic in transport circles around the world. And certainly with COVID-19, a real shift in the conversation as well around do people want to be living around their own suburbs and hubs as opposed to be travelling in and out of CBDs. This concept of precincts is otherwise known as transit-oriented developments or communities in different areas of the globe. And I think what I'd be really interested to hear is what's your vision for the precincts that could be created as part of the suburban rail loop? Look, there's no doubt that as we start, and we've already started on the delivery of our suburban rail loop and with extensive planning, and we've got the geotechnical investigations out there in the field at the moment as well. It's great to get moving on the biggest transport infrastructure project our state has seen. And, and, and you're right, in terms of the opportunities it provides to, as we build new train stations in suburbs, big train stations, it'll be important transport interchanges, that we have the opportunity to think about what will surround those, um, surround those uh, train stations. And one of the important elements of the suburban rail loop is it builds on Melbourne's existing radial network. And so for people and listeners familiar with the Melbourne network, it is very much a hub and spoke where our rail lines come in to the heart of the city. And that has served our city very, very well for a very long time. But with the growth of Melbourne, with the way people are now moving around the suburbs, and one of the outcomes too, I think, of our experiences of the COVID pandemic is people are wanting to work closer to home, wanting to reduce the amount of travel. And so what the suburban rail loop will do, it will connect every one of our major metropolitan train lines in that orbital loop around, uh, around the city through suburbs, connecting those suburbs to each other in a way they've never been done before. But also too, it's going to connect our university campuses in the suburbs. It's going to connect uh, important health and, health and education precincts in the suburbs to these two heavy rail for the very, very first time. And that gives us the opportunity to think even deeper and further about how people will come into these places for work, how you can put more economic activity around our university 
diversity centres around these uh, retail precincts that will be created adjacent to these train stations. And then also too, not just provide for the, for the housing that people are looking for, and we also have a commitment to looking at how we can provide more affordable housing in these areas, community housing in these areas, and then there's the community facilities that people will also be looking for. So alongside the huge work we're doing in the delivery of this as a transport project, we're also running alongside of this as part of the same integrated team who are delivering the, the, the big transport part of this project. Uh, the team, they're integrated with the transport team who are looking at the development of the precincts at each of these different locations. We'll be connecting up these different underground stations to each other, to the existing network, to new areas for the first time. So it's a tremendously exciting opportunities to bring so much closer together the planning and delivery of a big and important transport project alongside the precinct element of it, the, which will help uh, shape the way the city grows and the way people access jobs and uh, services into the future. Yeah, that's so exciting to really think about, right, around its ability to really shape what the future looks like in Melbourne for how people people live. Uh, it's certainly a very exciting and busy time to be the Minister for both the Suburban Rail Loop and Transport Infrastructure. And I wanted to, I guess, talk to you now a bit more broadly about what's known as Victoria's Big Build, which apart from the Suburban Rail Loop, also includes some of the biggest public transport projects in the state's history, such as the Melbourne Airport Rail Link, the Western Rail Plan, and the Metro Tunnel Project, which you referenced earlier. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit more about these projects and how they're going to transform Victoria in terms of the economic and social opportunities that they'll create. Well, there's the, the very big and important contribution these projects make to supporting jobs in our, in our construction sector and also all those other associated industries that are, are around the construction centre, the, the planners, the designers, the engineers, the environmental scientists who, who work with us through the planning stages of projects. And then when you move into the construction, it's all those associated supply chains, uh, companies that provide materials and goods and services to these big projects. So that's been a really important part of the work that we've done and we estimate across our big build program that it uh, supports an average of around 15,000 direct jobs and uh, an estimated 31,500 indirect jobs every single year and we have a pipeline of projects so that these jobs in these sectors that I've spoken of can see where the future is and can see that there's security in this area in, the, in, in years to come. So that's been a big focus of, of the program. As I said, in addition to building important transport infrastructure that's all about running more train services, running more light rail services, connecting people to where they want to go. The other big feature of the work we've been doing as part of our, our transport infrastructure agenda, the big build agenda, has been to make sure that at every opportunity we can provide the chance for, for, for more skill and training opportunities. And that's why we have very firm requirements through our procurement processes for young people to get their, their apprenticeship and traineeship opportunities on these projects, to bring in different cohorts in our communities to get 
an opportunity to work on these projects. And also, too, we have a very, very strong social procurement set of policies, recognising that when we're investing in infrastructure, we can also have an opportunity to support local businesses. And transport infrastructure projects, by their nature, are built in particular geographic areas. And so we have procurement requirements that if a good or service is needed for that project, it's sourced wherever possible from the local community. Uh, also, too, it's sourced from social enterprise, be they, uh, for example, disability service providers who might run a, a nursery or a printing service, a cleaning service, they are looked at and given priority through our procurement practices to be able to get work on our projects. I mean, that's so great to hear, right, about supporting the local economy and local jobs. Um, and I think that that's really been a hallmark, actually, of the way the Victorian government has been approaching uh, these projects and how to get them delivered. You're also overseeing the Level Crossing Removal Project, which is a significant program of work, which you referenced at the start of this episode. And I think what's really interesting is how unique this problem is to Melbourne. I know in other cities, they don't have anywhere near the number of level crossings that we have seen in Melbourne and Victoria. Um, and I think what would be really great is to hear from you about how this project is benefiting communities and what kind of feedback have you received so far? Uh, we've had terrific feedback from local communities. Uh, it's really been wonderful to get just the local stories about the difference getting rid of these dangerous and congested level crossings can have on local communities. It means there's that certainty around um, being able to get the kids to school on time, not get stuck at the boom gates uh, at particular times, but in, especially it's a problem in the, in the peak periods when we run more trains, that's when local roads become very congested and add stress and pressure to families at a time of the day they certainly don't need it. It's also meant much, it's been a big addition in terms of the safety of our, of our network Work. We know every single point where people interact with the rail network is a safety risk and removing level crossings has made our, our network so much uh, safer from both uh, an operation of the, the network, a train operational view, but also too from road users, pedestrians, cyclists who interact with the, with the network. And uh, one of the things with the 38 level crossings that we've removed to date as part of that program of 75 that we have targeted, um, one, one quick figure I have before me is that there's now 700,000 fewer drivers who have to negotiate a level crossing each day. And you can get a sense of the benefits that means in terms of reducing congestion and safety as well. But also too, one of the great benefits, we've, we've gone even further. When we've gone into removal level crossing, we've had a look at the broader network and where there's an opportunity to build a new train station, upgrade a train station, upgrade the signalling, build new sections of track, Melbourne has a, a, a very, uh, parts of our Melbourne network are, uh, are very old and so we've used this as an opportunity to modernise our train network over and above that commitment to remove level crossings. And then in addition to that, we've recognised that there's a role to also bring great community facilities into this. And so there's been um, the addition of walking and cycling paths around the network and then where we've removed level crossings by using rail bridges, that's created open space in areas for the first time and so there's now parks and skate parks and uh, off-leash walking dog areas and new open space in many of these communities that has never been there before. Yeah it's incredible to think about actually how many opportunities have really come out of 
that program of work. And, and certainly, you know, I mean, I've visited, you know, the parks that are under now, you know, some of that elevated, you know, train line and, and stations. And it's just amazing how much it's transformed communities. So I wanted to talk to you now about the needs of different public transport passengers and, and community needs as well when it comes to transport. And I know you're from the regional electorate of Bendigo and, you know, which is in a regional area. So, you know, I guess the, there's an interesting difference um, that can be seen at times around metropolitan and regional public transport um, in that in cities you're trying to move lots of people, usually shorter distances, whereas regionally you might move fewer people but for longer distances. And I was interested to know what other insights that you could offer us about the different public transport needs of cities and regional communities. Public transport's important regardless of where you live to be able to connect you to those, to, to what, you, as I mentioned before, whether it's to go to work or make your medical appointment um, or or do, do practical things like the, the shopping or catching up with family and friends. And one of the key differences for people living in rural and regional communities is that, as you've pointed out, they have to travel further distances to be able to access those services. And so if you, if you can't for whatever reason, travel by private vehicle. Public transport is so critical to be able to assist you be part of your local community, to be a participant in, the, in your local economy. And, and in some ways, it's even more vital that we provide good public transport connections for rural and regional communities. And I must say, this is a, a real passion of mine, a real commitment of mine to look at where we can improve rural and regional uh, public transport connections because, it, because of that very important reason. Uh, it's, it's about reducing isolation for people who live further away from those centres where those uh, services are provided. We need to be able to give them options, give them choices, give them, make it easy for people to access um, things that they need to live their daily lives. Yeah, absolutely. And so in terms of, I guess, the regional areas, what kinds of rail or road infrastructure projects are you working on at the moment to increase that mobility? There's a whole bunch of activity uh, going on at the moment. We're upgrading every regional passenger line in regional Victoria. Again, great for, for jobs in regional communities because we have those requirements for people to be employed from the local community. But it also means we can run more services, run more train services as a result of these projects being completed. We also look at our bus network too, and buses are a really important feature of public transport delivery in regional communities and making sure that for the urban centres, the urban regional centres, that they have good, strong bus networks connecting uh, those uh, within those communities. And then recognising too that regional communities also rely on a strong road network. We have established a dedicated roads agency, Regional Roads Victoria, who oversee the many regional road projects, the uh, road upgrade projects, but also we have a very strong focus on our road maintenance program, making sure we're working very hard to keep our regional road network well maintained, because that's important, again, from a safety point of view, given the number of people who rely on the road network to travel around rural and regional communities. 
Yeah, absolutely. Such important work there that you're leading and really looking forward to to seeing what's in store as we move forward. I now wanted to, uh, I guess, talk about a bit of a, a different topic, really coming back to, you know, the heart of, of why we started this podcast, Women Who Move Nations, which was really around profiling women working in the transport sector, but also really to inspire more women to join or or develop their careers in public transport. And I know that you're very passionate about this space and that you've been leading some initiatives to really develop and inspire more women to join the transport sector. Can you tell us about these initiatives and what's been achieved so far and what are the next steps? The transport sector is a really exciting and interesting uh, sector to be involved in. And there are many, many um, career opportunities across the area. And one of the things, though, that's pretty obvious to anyone who spends a bit of time in this area is that um, it, it, there is an underrepresentation of women across the transport um, across the transport uh, opportun- employment opportunities. And so this is this became very apparent early on in my days as when I first became a, a transport minister and and one of the initiatives we've established in Victoria to encourage uh, and provide more opportunities for women to come into the transport sector is our Women in Transport program. And uh, we uh, we had at the start of this program a, a pretty... Um, uninspiring figure that there was only 16% of all jobs in the transport sector were held by women. And so we've started with uh, wanting to set a, a an immediate target of increasing that to 25%. And can I say, by the Victorian government making this a priority, uh, we've put some money into the program. We've also too, with our construction industry partners, our transport operators who deliver services with us in Victoria, they've also made a contribution to this program and we are now seeing more women come through um, the the graduate programs. There are specific uh, areas that are being identified to prioritise women to get an opportunity in reaching into our education sectors, in schools and universities, in TAFEs, to uh, encourage women to consider transport as a career and identify where there are opportunities for for women to pursue these uh, these career opportunities. So we've been able to make some big inroads. We've got a lot more to do. I, I recognise that, but it's about making sure that the transport sector is out there promoting itself to women, that women can see there's pathways uh, into the area for the, for themselves. It's also to recognising that we need to have strong and diverse workforces to help us, whether it's the delivery of a construction pro- project or the delivery of a transport services, we've got to have a diverse um, uh, workforce because that reflects the community that we're delivering these services for. That's so inspiring to hear. Uh, And I I really believe in actually setting targets. I think we see that, you know, once you've got that ability to focus on a goal, um, you know, you're really set up to achieve it. And I just want to say, I think it's so great to see these initiatives driven by key decision makers such as yourself, um, because, you know, we believe so strongly in seeing that diversity of participation in the transport workforce. I wanted to ask you, I guess, a bit more about your own personal career. Um, I know you've been in politics your whole career and held transport-related portfolios since late 2014. So that's about six years now. Um, You obviously enjoy it. I wanted to ask, you know, what keeps you going and, and what do you like in particular about the transport portfolios? 
Transport is, it's, it's an intoxicating policy area because whether it's government, from a government perspective, community jobs perspective, because you're not only touching on the, the delivery of infrastructure, the making of new trains, but it's also about the delivery of services. And it's a, it covers such a wide and, and varied landscape that there's, there's a lot to get your teeth into. But also, too, it's about working with really local communities. What I really enjoy about the transport portfolio is working with local communities about how we can identify their priorities, whether it's the addition of, uh, of a small bus route, whether it's changing the timetable just slightly, which makes it easier for people to get to work on time or get to school on time. It's about making those connections that I think really uh, gives me the energy in this portfolio. Um, and then also to, uh, as I've mentioned before, a particular passion of mine is building uh, uh, better regional and rural connections for those communities. And I, if I can be a little bit parochial in my own community here in central Victoria, we've got uh, three new train stations that we are uh, starting the build of those three new train stations for three small country communities, giving them train services, connecting them into the major regional centre of Bendigo is going to make it so much easier for people to remain connected to those country communities whilst at the same time accessing services that they need from their major regional centre. Yeah, that's so great to hear. And I think what really comes out strongly for me is a real focus on improving the services that are available for anyone who might want to or need to use public transport to get around and to do those things, as you say, to get to work or to go shopping or to go to a medical appointment. And I think that's really key. And I think what we see in transport, you know, and around the world, cities and regions can really grapple with the fact that in order to improve services, sometimes it takes bold and brave decision making. Um, and I wanted to ask you, you know, as a policymaker, you've been at this for a, a long time and, and you have, you know, a career in being able to direct and make great policy decisions for communities. How do you balance making decisions that will lead to the best outcome for the community but might be unpopular in the short term or with certain community members? Look, there's, there's no doubt that from time to time, um, government has to make decisions that not everyone in the community will, will agree with or they'll have a different view on how it should be delivered. And uh, what, what uh, is important to me is that if you've gone through and, and looked at the decision that you need to make from every possible angle, you've considered the views of others, that there's a strong policy basis for the decision you've made. Even though there might be some voices, there might be some people who don't support what you're doing, um, if it's the right project or the right decision with the right policy basis, from time to time, you do need to, I guess, almost back in that decision, have the courage of your convictions to have the conversation with those who may not agree with you, to be able to have the discussion, um, listen carefully and consider their views. But ultimately, the job of government is to make decisions and uh, and is to get on and deliver, whether it's services or projects that provide uh, construction jobs. And so as long as all of this is done in a, in a respectful way, a considered way, if it's the right po policy, it's the right project, it's been through a rigorous process. From time to time, you do just need to, to push on and, and have the courage that you've made the right decision and that you can have that conversation with the communities that are either um, concerned or there's also too often with many of these projects, in communities that are very interested and are very keen to see these projects progress. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's kind of heartwarming to think about as well, right? That, you know, with that courage and conviction that, you know, it's going to lead to the to the better outcome for communities, right? And uh, and I think that's so important because that's how we improve um, people getting around and the livability and sustainability outcomes, certainly for Victoria. I wanted to ask you, I guess on a personal level, you know, what is a project or initiative that you've worked on that you're really proud of? I'm wondering, Michelle, if I can have two. It's it's like it's like having children. You can't choose your favourite. All my <laughs> projects, I love all my projects are wonderful. And you know, we've talked already about the suburban rail loop, which is particularly exciting, um, and that's a future project. But a couple of projects that we've got on the go right now. I've I've mentioned the Metro Tunnel earlier. This is going to be such a game changer for Melbourne and Victoria's uh, train network in the way it'll provide a massive step increase in in the capacity capacity of our network to run more trains to support our, our growing city and suburbs and, and we're deep in the construction phase of this project with four tunnel boring machines going right now ploughing their way through beneath the ground of, the, of Melbourne's uh, city centre. So that's a big project, lots of people employed going to make a big difference. And then at the same time, we've got the construction of some new train stations in small country communities here in central Victoria. I mentioned them before and, and that's, uh, they're, they're much smaller projects, but again, are going to make a big difference in being able to connect people uh, where they choose to live, where to where they need to go to access services and jobs. And so that's what, um, they're, they're a couple of my favourite projects at the moment. I mean, as I say, I love all the projects, the level crossing removal program, if I can add a third one to the mix and be a bit cheeky, that program as a whole has also been uh, a program that we're tremendously proud of because it touches so many different areas, makes our communities safer, provides thousands and thousands of jobs in local communities, gives us the chance to run more train service, has given us the chance to upgrade the metropolitan train network in these areas and provide other job opportunities through our social procurement policies. So I'm sorry, Michelle, you asked me for one. I've given you three now. Um, it's, 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 there's a lot that we're doing that um, is making a big difference here in Victoria. Absolutely. And Jacinta, I mean, there were three really great projects, right? So I can see how proud you are of, of all of those projects and, and the benefits that they're delivering. You've certainly delivered a lot throughout your career. Um, and I wanted to ask you, you know, as my, as my final question, um, for our listeners out there who might be early on in their own careers in public transport and the mobility sector, what advice would you have for them? My advice, and look, everyone's experience will be different and shaped by their own uh, circumstances, but is to see that there's great variety in the in, tra in the transport sector, that um, we need people with many different skill sets, many different occupational levels, many different um, academic attainment as well. There's um, so many different and varied opportunities. And I'd encourage people who might be at the earlier stages of their career is to perhaps um, obviously, I hope everyone loves what they're doing right now, but to also see that you can pivot and move into different areas whilst still working in, in transport and to not limit your horizons by thinking that you've only got been to done one particular training course and you're on one particular pathway. There's loads of opportunities and also to be involved in the conversations around transport policy, because that's also going to shape the projects and the way we deliver services into the future. Yeah, it's so exciting. I think there's real career opportunities for many years to come in the transport space. 
It was great to hear all about the fantastic work that you're doing, Jacinta, and thanks for sharing your insights with us. Thanks, Michelle. It's been great to uh, share these thoughts with you and your listeners. For our audience members, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Michelle Batsis. Stay safe and keep moving nations. Thank you to everyone for listening to this week's episode of Women Who Move Nations. This series is co-produced by Cassandra Kadelka and Lara Rudd with copywriting by Sophia Dickinson. Please join us each week as we raise the voices of women in the public transport and mobility sector. I'm Michelle Batsis. Keep safe and keep our nations moving.